VOC Nation Radio Network, Wrestling With History. And after a week of just Bill Apter sitting back and telling some stories, audio only, we're back here again as a group. The voice of choice, Bruce Ward, Killer Ken Resnick, and uh, our main man, a wonderful Willie, the legend maker, Bill Apter. How have you guys uh, doing? You're both vaccinated for your first time, right? Yep, exactly. Nice and healthy? Oh, when I when I heard Ken got a shot, I didn't. I thought, oh, okay, never mind. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill thought I was hanging out with my friend Jack Daniels. <laughs> right. So, Bruce, what do we got on tap today? All right. So we're going to talk about 1986 today, and wow. uh, we're going to go through the major highlights of the year, and then um, I think, guys, we've been getting some feedback from the listeners. And the thing that people like the most about this show are the stories. So they like the years because um, I think this show is about the golden era of professional wrestling. But the stories are more important than anything. So starting next week, we're going to spotlight different people every week. And uh, I, I, we might as well tell, tell it right off the top here, our very first spotlight. And again, this is next week. This show drops on Wednesdays on your favorite podcast app, including iHeartRadio and radio.com. We're going to be talking about the one and only Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And that's next week. Gotta, Unquestionably. Got to tune in next week to hear that. And uh, you can also find the video of this show on YouTube, but we're changing that up a little bit too. We're going to have just clips, highlights on YouTube. And in the coming weeks, uh, we'll talk more about a, a shift in what we're doing here and a great opportunity for all of the listeners to really go behind the scenes of this show and some of the other fantastic shows on VOC Nation. So make sure that you subscribe and you don't miss a minute of uh, anything that goes on right here. Visit vocnation.com for all of the news and information. But guys, 1986 was obviously a very significant year in professional wrestling. It was, uh, in a lot of ways, it was leading into um, that golden period of the golden era. You know, 87 is kind of, the um like what 87 89 bill would you say was the peak of uh professional wrestling in that era well in that era yeah not yeah. just i'm not uh, there's a bunch of people that'll you know chastise for, me for the it 90s go over it did go over a little bit uh further than that but yeah that those were incredible years and Ken, you spent most of that time in the AWA, of course. Uh, well, 83 to 86 was... Yeah, I mean, I, I actually uh, made the move uh, to WWF uh, in April of 86. April of 86. So when we started the year in 1986, Ken was still in the AWA doing backstage interviews. And Gene had left at that point, right? Gene jumped to the WWF in 84. Right. Yeah. He'd been gone. Uh, in fact, I'd only been there, I think, uh, maybe about three weeks, uh, starting in 83, uh, late 83, and, and Gene kind of jumped quick. Yeah. Did they call Gene Okerlund mean Gene back in the AWA as well? I don't yeah, remember. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a misnomer, Bill, but it was Jesse the Body. Ventura that first started calling him Mean Gene. Really? Uh, okay. And a, a lot of people think it was Hulk, but, uh, you know, Jesse had started calling him that. So, yeah, he was Mean Gene uh, back in the AWA. Wow. And when See, I didn't know that. I'm learning something from wrestling with history now, too. Bill? Yeah, really. So, Bill, you thought it was Hogan? I did. I and did. you thought it was in, in the WWF? I thought it was Hogan and Vince. Okay. That kind of coined that for him. Yeah. When did that? When did that happen, Ken? Was that was that before you got there? Was he uh, already Mean Gene? 
I, I, I think so. Um, you know, Jesse had, had done that uh, for a while. Uh, and I remember when uh, Jesse brought in, you know, Mr. Saito. Uh, Jesse had always called him uh, Mean Gene. And, you know, very, you know, in, in the back of my mind, uh, I've always, you know, taken a little bit of pleasure in the fact that, you know, announcer-wise, um, I think, you know, the killer Ken came absolutely from Hulk Hogan. Uh, he just kind of did it one day out of the blue. And, you know, Gene left. Um, and, you know, I had come in. Gene was still there. But in an effort to put me over, it was the first time in the AWA, Hulk just kind of came up and started kill, calling me Killer Ken, I think, uh -huh. in an effort to, you know, kind of bring me close to the level that Gene or Mean Gene was thought of. Did anyone have any inkling that Vince McMahon was uh, going after Gene Okerlund? We know he was trying to take a lot of the wrestlers, but did anyone have a clue that he was trying to get Gene Okerlund? Uh, I, I don't think so, Bill. It, it never, you know, filtered down to me. And, you know, being in the office when, when he left, uh, they, they were pretty surprised because, you know, Gene was, was from the Twin Cities. Uh, it started off was a salesman at one of the local Twin Cities, you know, television stations. Yeah. And, you know, by happenstance kind of fell into to interviewing and, and, you know, was one of the all-time greats at doing it so you know his hometown he had family here i i think you know vernon greg surmised that well we know gene's not going anywhere and that was the case until gene decided to go somewhere well ken let me ask you this because we we talked about this on a different show back in the archives probably when we first did started doing the show together so people can go back and certainly listen to that long form but um, for people that are new, especially people that just started listening since Bill joined, um, 86 was when you jumped from the AWA to the WWF. And uh, you said before it was uh, Jack Lanza, I think, that um, presented you with the opportunity. But did Vern ever expect for you to make the jump? And that I, I, I don't think so. And, and you know, I, I really didn't make the jump. I had left the okay. AWA. Uh, in fact, Russell Rock was my last show, last day. <laughs> Went out with a bang. For the AWA. Uh, and no one knew, I did not share with anyone that I was thinking of leaving. So um, I left the AWA and was actually uh going to go back as you are now into the corporate world because prior to getting into television um i was a district sales manager for chrysler corporation not a dealership but for chrysler corporation and i had already made some inroads and was very well received uh about going back uh to chrysler and they had already got we had gotten into a little bit of the specifics uh, about what I might do in, in coming back. So I had left the AWA. I had never had conversations with anyone about going to the WWF. And what happened, um, you know, by then Jack Lanza was a road agent for Vince. Uh, Jack worked in the office and really the entire time, the two people in the AWA I was closest with and socialized and did things away from the business for Jack Lanza and, and the Sheik. So Jack kept in contact. And I think it was like two nights after Russell Rock, Jack called just to find out what the finishes were. You know, he wasn't asking for any sort of inside information. I kind of told them and we talked about how Waylon Jennings was received. And then, you know, he said, you know, he was on the road. It was late and he said, okay, he said, you know, anything else? And I said, you know, well, I quit you know, I'm gone. And he started laughing. He didn't believe me. And, you know, I, you know, reaffirmed and he asked what I was going to do. And I told him, you know, I'd already had some preliminary conversations, was probably going to go back to work for Chrysler. And he said, 
don't do anything till I get back to town. He said, I'll be back, you know, tomorrow night. And he said, we'll get together. And he called me the next night and he said, hey, you want to, well, let's have breakfast in the morning. And I said, okay, great. And he said, wear a coat and tie and I'll pick you up at 545. And I went, Jack, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see you. It's been a few months, but I'm not getting up at 530 in the morning and have breakfast with anybody at coat and tie. Are you out of your mind? I said, would somebody hit you over the head with a chair? He said, I'll pick you up at 545. We're a coat and tie. We're going to New York. Vince wants to see you. And I, I started laughing. I said, Jack, you know, he, no one was better at pulling ribs than, you know, Jack Lanza. I mean, let's face it, he hung around with Bobby Heenan, who was probably the best there was. That's right. Uh, and, you know, I absolutely didn't believe him. And Jack said to me, I'll tell you what, I'm going to hang up. You call Northwest Airlines and you ask him if there is not a prepaid ticket in your name for the 720 flight tomorrow morning to LaGuardia and then ask them if there's not one in my name as well. And I called Northwest and sure enough, there was. Um, Jack evidently must have called Vince and you know, recommended me, told him I was leaving. And um, that's how I ended up flying to, to New York to interview. So was Chrysler aware that you were going to make the jump to <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, no, I, I, know, I, know. I wasn't aware. Uh, no, yeah, and it, it it really took me by surprise because, um, you know, Gene was <clears throat> still there, um, you know, and I think I had, you know, gotten better and was, you know, somewhat good at, at doing the interviews and selling it and making believable. Excellent. But, yes. I mean, Gene was one of the best. So that thought process had, it's something I never, ever, you know, considered. I just kind of thought, you know, that was it. And, you know, someday I'll be able to tell somebody, yeah, you know, uh, I used to, you know, be in professional wrestling. I used to do shows and interviews and ring announce and play by play. Um, so it, it came right out of the blue. That's amazing. And now look, you're all over the WWE network. You're <laughs> dancing with Coco Beware. You're hanging out with Matilda. Um, you, you know, Ken, I think that um, it's so, it's so funny because that period of wrestling is is so popular with people and you are such a a staple on all of those those shows i mean i was watching they just released that wrestling challenge series as i told you and i mean you're on all of those shows so it's funny because the first time that we started talking about doing this show together, you're like, nobody wants to hear me. Right. And I'm like, I think everybody wants to hear from you because you were a significant part of a lot of people's fandom. So absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let me, let me ask you guys this. And, and to, to, to be honest, I, I never considered that possibility. I mean, it, it's almost like the old adage uh, you know, sometimes they say you can't, people can't see the forest when they're in the trees. And it was like, you know, I was in the trees, but I didn't see any sort of forest. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because if you look at the success of this show, I mean, it, it's really um, both of you guys. I mean, just great careers and a run in pro wrestling. I mean, there's people that have a one year run and I mean, they're they're legends and headed to the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I mean, you really had a, a good five year run in two major promotions um, near their height. I want to ask you this, though, about Chrysler before we get off of it. And Bill, this goes to you, too. Um, there's a lot of talk about pro wrestling giving people a stigma and after you do something in pro wrestling, people don't want to hire you to do something else because uh, they look at pro wrestling as a. Uh, you know, a different kind of business. I don't know, like a carny type of business. And um, I know sportscasters have been saddled with that. You know, once you do wrestling, they don't take you serious enough to do something else. Was that something that ever came up? Did they say at Chrysler? Yeah, yeah. Ah, you're the wrestling guy. I, I had one incident there where between wrestling magazines, uh, which wasn't very long, I was going to sign up for unemployment first time in my life. And the guy at the desk asked me what I, what I did. And I said, well, I write about and take pictures of half-naked men in bathing suits and women making like they're beating each other up. 
he got a laugh out of that. But uh, um, yeah, anytime I went to uh, a little bit out of, because I was, technically I was in the publishing business, right. if you really think about it. Um, and there were several other magazines that had nothing to do with wrestling that I was just looking at to maybe pursue to get into in terms of uh, that. But uh, it was always like, oh, you published wrestling and boxing magazines. Well, we, you know, this genre that we're doing is nothing like that. So, yeah, but I remember that unemployment story. Yeah, I, I, I did lose. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons uh, Chrysler was, you know, interested in, in, in me coming back was, you know, I had a three and a half year track record of success in increasing our, you know, in, you know, my districts, increasing market penetration, you know, raising the customer satisfaction index. But after that, uh, you know, after my WWF run, uh, LPWA, AWF, um, I, I looked at, you know, applied for some other things that, you know, I knew I was eminently qualified to do but the pro wrestling, you know, and it's like a lot of guys said, you know, my God, you've been on all these national TV shows and have done all these things. You know, we're not going to hire you because we know in, in, in a couple months you'll be bored and somebody else is going to try and get you back to, yeah, to television yeah. or, or wrestling. And, you know, I can't attest whether that was genuine or that's what they said because they didn't want to say, you know, you did wrestling, you know, we're, we're a serious business here. Uh, so, That's you know, I can, I can relate right. to that bill. And, and to answer your question, Bruce, I, I, I definitely think there was some of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that, that I've heard. And um, yeah, there you have it from two people that were on the inside of the business. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. I want to talk about uh, some, something else that happened in 86 and this is more, um, in, in Bill's uh, neck of the woods in terms of where he covered was uh, Ric Flair starting the Four Horsemen. That happened down in uh, the NWA. So let's talk about that on the other side. This is Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. VOC Nation Radio Network, wrestling with history worldwide on VOCNation.com and wherever you get your favorite podcast, including iHeartRadio, Radio.com, iTunes, and all of the other wonderful places. Uh, you know, gentlemen, before we get back in 86, and I want to talk about Ric Flair, I have a bone to pick publicly because that's how I like to do it. Um, with Conrad Thompson, and I'll say this off the top, Conrad does excellent shows in a lot of ways. He inspired me to get back into doing this, but you know, I subscribed to his ad free shows on Patreon. Cause I do enjoy, I, I love the, uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, um, love some of the other stuff, but he has a, uh, pictorial thing that he does every day with different pictures from pro wrestling history and he calls it wrestling with history and i know that that was created after this show started so a little bit of a bone to pick with you conrad and the next time we're at a wrestling convention together we may have to get into the ring this from a guy whose wife won't let him go to any more conventions <laughs> i can talk tough on the air though yeah well, in the famous words of another broadcaster, Gordon Soley, well, a uh, fight is about to break up, and we will be right back. <laughs> so you, you were talking about Ric Flair, though. Yeah, yeah. Before the break, we are talking about Ric Flair. So 
Ric Flair on TV, right, before anybody jumps in and corrects me, because I'm sure that people will like to do that on Twitter. And you could do that by following at VOC Nation, at After One Wrestling, or at Resnick After VOC, which is the podcast. Any one of those, you can attack us, and we love your feedback. But on TV, Ric Flair formed the Four Horsemen with Tully Blanchard, Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, and J.J. Dillon. And, Bill, you were a big part of uh, TV back then for various NWA territories. So that's got to stick out in your mind. Was that something that you ever thought at that time would become what it did? No. Well, I knew that there was a certain magic with all those people put together. They had styling. They had profiling. Yeah, that's not too good. No, that was very good. But I knew there was something special there. But did I realize that it was going to become something that people in the year 2021, when we're taping this broadcast, would (laughs) still be craving and watching on the WWE Network and watching on DVDs and any streaming media on YouTube? No, I had no clue. And I have to tell you something that... uh, Ric Flair alone, alone, was an incredible performer in his prime. And to be, to be backed up by people with such great talent like Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson and JJ and Ole Anderson just was, it was absolutely amazing the way they meshed together and none of them none of them had anything taken away from them as a group because individually they were all tremendous and as a group they were even stronger and you can tell they supported each other and they were living that lifestyle that you saw on tv inside and outside the ring i mean so much so that rick flair during the height of the horseman days i remember being on an airplane uh, and I don't remember if it was Delta or United or whatever, but he came onto the airplane with his, uh, uh, this is during the Four Horsemen days, with his one of his robes on, and he got onto the plane and just opened it up, and he had forgotten to put his trunks on. Yeah. <laughs> on purpose, maybe. On purpose, probably. But yeah, they were styling and profiling all the time, and Rick always had, they, they always had great, looking women with them and they 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 played the the playboy part so well that it actually became part of them no there's you know what there have been so many other groups that have gotten up pretty high but none of them none of them will ever be able to get close to what the four horsemen were because if you really think about it like i said today people are still talking about them yeah, I was thinking, you know, and you know, I didn't really have any interaction. I kind of recused myself from this because all I knew really about them was what Bill Apter wrote about them because there was no cable TV, no internet. But whenever I think about the, the, the four horsemen, and I agree wholeheartedly with everything Bill said, I kind of say to myself, they were almost the, the precursor to the 73-win Golden State Warriors. Mm -hmm. Each one of them was a superstar in their own right. Whenever they performed, you knew they were superstars, but yet they were still stronger together. Right. And and I don't think we've really ever seen that togetherness, superstardom, unselfishness, other than the Warriors in any pro sport like the Horsemen were or the Warriors were. Well, see, for someone who doesn't follow other sports, I was now I get what you're, what you're talking about. But yeah, they were such an incredible uh, group together. And it was just the chemistry between all of them. The chemistry that flowed between them was just fantastic. Yeah, Never seen anything like it before. You, you, even when they were performing together, you always knew they were all superstars. They were able to do that without ever sacrificing any of their own superstardomness. Yeah, that is true. And you know what? Each one of them, each one of them, if you would ask them, if you'd ask Ric Flair back then in the prime days, you know, tell us about Arn, tell us about Tully and all that. 
he would compliment them as if he was complimenting himself. That's, they all were on equal footing back then. And they all had different personalities, if you really look at it. Well, yeah, they all had different roles that they played. And, and I think that's what makes a faction so good. I was looking uh, and thinking about the, the Hurt Business, uh, which I think is doing a very good job. One of the things on WWE TV that um, I enjoy watching, I think Bobby Lashley is playing his part very well. MVP is the elder statesman in the group. I, I, I just, I'm enjoying that. But, um, you know, you think of factions and the only two that really come close to the horsemen are uh, the NWO, the original NWO, before they started adding everybody. And uh, DX, when you had that core group of Triple H, not so much Shawn Michaels, it was the next group after that, Triple H, yeah. the New Age Outlaws, and X-Pac. I think those, they all banded together, very cohesive, but they were all winning matches on their but own. But they were all, you see, the, the thing is that, and you mentioned the NWO, which to me was my second favorite faction, yeah, yeah. but they weren't, hey, the, they weren't the, hey, yo, but they weren't the playboy types. They had a different, they were bad guys they were out of they were coming out of you know they just wanted to disrupt everything where flair and the horsemen were like you know they the elite um playboy types now today of course you have you know groups in aew like the uh, uh the elite the inner circle which chris jericho had put together but and they're really they're really good for the fans today but if those fans today look back and see what these groups were too, uh, they'd be really surprised at how cohesive they were and how memorable they were. Because here you brought up the NWO. And who doesn't remember the NWO? Because that, that was a classic era that was brought about because of them. Even people that weren't born back then know the NWO. Go ahead, Ken. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, as, as I think about you know all those factions, and maybe part of it is by the you know time you know the NWO uh, degeneration X you know AEW there there's so much more money involved. But of all those other groups, as good as they were, it was still more about the star himself, but as part of the group. But the four horsemen. It was like they all bought into the horsemen where it was almost the opposite. It was more about the horseman than it was about Ric Flair. Yeah, you're right. More about the horseman than it was Arn or, or Ole or, or Tully. And, and that to me is, is the biggest difference in my mind, which separates, even though, you know, I had no interaction, you know, with the horsemen, the AWA or WWF that just separates that group because here all the, the, these four great superstars came together and said, you know what? It's more about the horsemen now than it is us. Yeah. And you know, anytime that anyone in the horsemen lost or got pinned or whatever, the other guys were always there to defend them on the yeah. interview the next week. Always. You didn't beat Tully. You didn't beat him. There was a foot, there was a blind referee. You know, there was always, they stuck up for each other. It's amazing. And, and, and Bill, I, I'm curious while we're, we're talking, you know, about the horseman, you, you were more in, inside than anyone. Do you think that because the money was not what it is today in the guaranteed contracts may have been one of the factors that allowed them to become more about the group than each other, than themselves? No, because they were all making very good money. They, I don't think anybody thought they'd ever make the money they're making today. It was different, you know, wrestling uh, wasn't uh, as big as the WWE machine is, of course, financially, no. So they were making good, really good money. I remember Flair telling me that, you know, he had nothing to, worry about back then. Same thing with Tully, same thing with Arn. I was in there. I talked to these guys all the time. How about, so you talked about them living the life outside of the ring. Uh -huh. And I have to ask, and, and Ken, 
I, I guess I this goes the limos, by the way. Well, and and I've seen some pictures. Uh, Ken, <laughs> this uh, this goes for you too. I guess more uh, with Ted DiBiase and and maybe that gimmick uh, when you were around it. But the four horsemen would spend a lot of money, and I I um when I used to travel more uh, in in the wrestling world. I heard a lot of stories about Ric Flair. The honky tonk man has some really great ones. Uh, but, you know, Flair racking up the tab in the bar. And my question is, who's paying for that? Is that these guys living their gimmick and paying it out of their own pocket? Or is that uh, the promoter giving them some extra uh, C notes to carry around? I, I don't know for a fact, but my educated guess was that was them paying for it themselves. I know that um, for a fact. I, know know, I, for I, fact. I was with, uh, out after matches uh, with Rick uh, Flair one night in Winnipeg and a couple of times uh, here in Minneapolis. And I mean, Rick wanted to be the center of attention. When he walked into a bar, he wanted everyone to know that Ric Flair was there and he was buying round after round for anybody that came up to him. He, you know, if the bar wasn't crowded, he'd walk in and say, I want to buy a round for everybody. It was out of his pocket. Yeah, exactly. I, I know. Cause I, exactly. I was, I was it, there. I, I, I don't think anyone I ever encountered in the business lived his gimmick more than Ric Flair. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I was there and I was there at the, uh, uh, the limos. A lot of the, most of the limos were paid for by the companies. But once these guys got out into the bar and they got a couple of drinks in them, especially like Flair, he bankrolled whatever he wanted to pay for. He was, but I remember one night and I don't remember what town it was in. They're like 26 people having dinner at a big table. He walked in. He says, give me the check. That's it. Because he was Ric Flair. Yeah, but yeah. I... <laughs> Can you see him making out an expense account? $5,423. So in, in the old days... <laughs> and the, the accountant saying, and who who was this for? And Rick going, I have no idea. <laughs> Never I, met him. I don't drink anymore. Uh, I stopped drinking a couple of years ago. I never really had a problem. It's just not something. Uh, it's not worth it to me. It, it's not. It's not enjoyable enough to have to wake up the next day and um, <laughs> fight it off. Uh, but so uh, when when we used to go to the conventions, Bill, and um, travel and do interviews and do the shows. I remember and, those days. But you know, I I also had a pretty good business career. Still do, thankfully. And um, so I'd be at the bar and, you know, here's all of my heroes from the 80s and um, they're all ordering whatever they want. And then I'm the the uh, person at the end of the night saying, oh, I got it. It's all on me. And um, somebody uh, and I'll, I'll leave the name out, but um, pulled me aside and said, you're a, you're you're a money mark. You're 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 uh, these these guys. Uh, they have you fingered. So. Uh, you better be careful because you're going to end up with a couple thousand dollar uh, bill. And I guess my question is, did that happen? Um, were the wrestlers purposely, would they go out and find that person who's a big fan that they could use uh, and know that they would pay the bar tab and they could yeah, kind of- Yes, yeah, yeah. There were, there were and I, I will not fault the, any of the horsemen for this, but there was a guy in Philadelphia that I remember- that anytime these guys came to town, they called him and he made sure he had the limousines. He made sure he took them out. I don't know if he was paying for everything or if it was just trade deals. Hey, here, this Ric Flair, this J.J. Dillon. This, I don't know if to make, but I do know, yeah, they had people in a lot of different towns that they knew they could call for anything they wanted. Yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff. Well. Uh, great conversation about the horseman guys. Let's anyway, take Bruce, Bruce yeah. did pay for this uh, sparkling ice for me. I kind of hit him up for it. Back in 2010, before they told me Bill was taking advantage of me. 
Right. <laughs> oh, Bill, Bill, that's why you didn't get your dollar this week? He, he put that towards the, the icy? Yep, that was it. Put it toward my sparkling ice. But no, the, the, the four horsemen days uh, were different than the NWO days, different than the Hurt Business days, different from uh, the Nation of Domination days. Uh, there was the four horsemen had their own thing that people have tried to imitate forever and you can't do it. Bill, do you think that the, in terms of factions today, and, and one of the things that's great about factions are, think about the amount, the stars that have risen out of factions, Ric Flair and, and The Rock from the Nation of Domination, Triple yeah. H from DX, and you can go on and on and on. Are there any of those factions you mentioned? We, we talked about the Hurt Business, the Elite, um, you know, anything out there. Is there anything that stands out to you that, um, could become something uh, something to remember 10 years from now? Ken mentioned something about, I think it was you, Ken, that mentioned something about Bobby Lashley, right? No, was that was you? Bruce. Bruce, you yeah. did that. Okay. Um, and his thing with um, um, Keith Lee a few weeks ago really got me moving. I yeah. think that if they played... The, her, I just did a column for Inside the Ropes magazine, my monthly column, the after chat, about the Hurt Business, okay? Because I saw something special in them. I saw MVP being that spokesman there. I see Lashley as a monster. The other guys, kind of on the same level, but I think if they kept focusing on what they're doing and making them unbeatable, scary characters, maybe, but... To, again, to reach the level of something like the Four Horsemen or the NWO, uh, Chris Jericho's group uh, had that has the idea, but I don't think, you know, there's problems now with Sammy Guevara. So I don't think that right now, I feel that 10 years from now, they're going to be talking about that group. Yeah, like still gonna ten years from now they're still gonna talk about the four horsemen. Yeah, you're right. It did start with a lot of juice and then kind of it's uh, faded away. Go ahead, Ken. I you know to to me that the biggest difference and when you you talk about the hurt business, certainly the look in the ring, Bobby Lashley is is outstanding. You know MVP, you know really good talker. You know outstanding. But the oh, yeah. one thing about the the, the four horsemen. Every one of them was phenomenal in the ring, phenomenal on the mic by themselves. You know, it, it's like some of the factions now, well, the, you know, this guy's really good in the ring, but we got to put somebody with him that's a good talker. And we, you know, and, and we need kind of a supporting cast. You know, every one of the horsemen could, was a superstar on their own. Absolutely. Every facet. And I don't think you can say that about any, I don't think you can say that about the Hurt Business, you, I, you know, as an entity, I don't think you can say that in totality uh, about Chris Jericho's group. That's the one thing about the Horsemen. Each one of them would have been a superstar in and of themselves if they had right on the head. a Horseman. Yeah. And I don't think you can say that about the groups today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing about the groups today is they don't want anybody to be a star. They they want the marquee to be a star. And that's that's certainly another story. Maybe that's a story for next week when we talk about the one and only Vince McMahon and how he transformed the wrestling business. Uh, good time to take a break, guys. We'll come back. We'll wrap it up with uh, WrestleMania 6 and Wrestle Rock uh, before we, we wrap it up for the week. This is Wrestling with History with Bill After and Ken Resnick worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact. Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez. And former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com. 
and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Back here on Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Radio Network. Just want to remind everybody you can go to VOCNation.com or subscribe to the VOC Nation Wrestling Radio Network. That's right. We've changed that on all of the major platforms uh, for many great shows. So besides this with uh, myself, Ken Resnick, and Bill After, you have In the Room with Brady Hicks and former Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks. Former WCW star, The Maestro, on Tuesdays, that airs live and takes callers. Maestro also has a call-in show on Thursdays called WCW Retro. Former WWE and TNA star, Shelly Martinez with Shelly Live. She also sometimes takes callers. It depends on how she's feeling that week. Uh, you have uh, Wes Briscoe with Briscoe and Big Ace and Sassy Stephanie with Talkin' Sass. So we take you inside the greatest moments in pro wrestling history right here in the VOC Nation Radio Network. A lot more to come in the coming weeks. A lot more to come in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. Um, guys, before we get out of here today, I want to cover, uh, as we finish uh, going in our journey through 1986, the two biggest events were WrestleMania and, well, two of the biggest events, Wrestle Rock, and, and uh, Ken was there, so we have to talk about that. But next week... Um, I want to get this out before we run out of time. We're going to spotlight Vince McMahon. And the cool thing about this, and, and I think fans will really appreciate this, is you guys have inside stories because you both interacted a lot with Vince McMahon. And Well, I, I interacted with both Vince McMahon, senior and junior. Yeah. And can you work for him? Only junior. Never met senior. Right. But... Well, well, I, I, I can give you the, the difference between the two of them on our next show. Here we go. Only here. Listen, you, you can hear stories about Vince McMahon on other shows, but remember, I mean, people are so... Bruce Pritchard works there again now, so you're not going to get unfiltered stories like you might get from Ken and Bill. So tune in next week, and if you're listening for the first time, make sure you hit subscribe. Hold on, hold on a minute. What? Hello? Hello? Vince, what do you mean you're monitoring the tape in here? What do you mean, what am I going to say about? Yes, I'm going to tell them about that. Yeah, that too. All right. Goodbye. We're taping. I can't. Jeez. I just got an email from Jerry McDevitt. Anyway. For those of you who don't know, he's the head attorney for the WWE. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, two, two big pay-per-views. So WrestleMania 2. Um, First was uh, on the heels of WrestleMania one, which was a big success. And wait a minute, how did you know who Vince McMahon's lawyer is? It's a well-known fact, Bill. Okay, I just wondered where, if he had been in touch with you prior to. No, but I might hire him for this case I have against Conrad for wrestling with history. Oh, uh -oh. copyright and trademark by VOC Nation. Staying out of this, indeed. Um, uh, so WrestleMania. So on the heels of WrestleMania 1, McMahon tries to do the Crockett thing where you bring WrestleMania to multiple cities. And a lot of people say that was a dismal failure, and they obviously never did it again. So what, what went wrong? I mean, either one of you guys. Uh, Ken, you weren't there yet, but um, you probably heard about it, right? Because uh, one of the sites yeah, was Yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, right before uh, Wrestle Rock, which obviously the, you know... AWA, uh, Vern and, and Wally put together as kind of a answer to uh, WrestleMania. Um, that was one of the few times, you know, we kind of scratched our heads. Uh, you know, Crockett had some, you know, technical problems with coming out of two buildings. Uh, but as Vince would always want to do one up anyone. So they went to, you know, the garden, Rosemont Horizon in Chicago and the uh, LA Sports Arena and, you know, had a, a, a main event in each of the buildings and were well attended. But, you know, some of the things we heard is the, the fans were a little disappointed because, you know, the ticket prices back then were, were pretty high and each building only had, you know, four matches, one or two of which, you know, were certainly main event caliber. 
but you know, other than that, so that 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 kind of surprised me. Yeah, Phil was was the logistics. You think what what went into that was Vince trying to show that he's he's national and he's going to dominate. No, he, he he was he was trying to be worldwide, worldwide, before worldwide. Right. But yeah, I mean, it, it, if you really uh, uh, think about it, this was uh, him starting to. Uh, again, make it part, you know, he had a marketing plan, Bruce and Ken, he really did. And this was part of the stepping out of the typical WWF or WWWF territory in his expansion plans. And he had to, he had to dip his feet into the waters to see what he could do. And, you know, he knew, he knew that is it going to be successful? I'm not sure. You know, this is a gamble. The whole situation, everything that he was trying to do was a gamble. Uh, he may have lost money in some ways, but he's one of these people who is able to recoup financially in whatever ways he uh, uh, did this and come back and become the old cliche, bigger and better than before. Monetarily, was, was that a moneymaker or did he break even, lose money? Obviously, they went back at it for WrestleMania 3, but um, were people a little down on WrestleMania 2, well, and was there Ken, any fear? I, I, I think, Ken, you had, we're talking about WrestleMania 2 um, with all the sites. I think you had failed to mention um, the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. Uh, oh, that's right. It was Nassau instead of the, gar yeah, the Garden. Yeah, yeah. It was Nassau but it was, and New York, Chicago, and, and Los right. Angeles. And the Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. The three biggest media markets. Exactly. You just hit it right on the head. That's where he wanted to be because he wanted to catch the eye of the biggest media markets and look at what he had there. I mean, it was incredible. Did he lose money? I don't know. I can't answer that. I'm not going to make up an answer for that. Uh, but he would not have been able to move on to that blockbuster WrestleMania three if WrestleMania two had lost a ton of money. Sure, and I think brand awareness um, it certainly got what it what it was aiming to do. I think they they really cemented themselves, and and that's when they started to rebrand the shows. You know, they they went more with superstars as a, as opposed to wrestlers, and you know, championship wrestling became superstars of wrestling, which you can't say now because somebody sued them. And yeah, blah, well, look, blah, at what they had. look at the talent that McMahon had in there. there they, he had so many established superstars. And of course, Hulk Hogan's name at that point, at that point was like a Hollywood star. Well, and that's one of the reasons I think Hulk main evented, you know, the LA portion at the, the sports arena right. uh, in the cage match. And what's kind of interesting and doesn't get talked about it, and I think I'm right about this, and Bill, I'll, I'll defer to you, but Hulk's cage match wasn't and isn't that still the only cage match that has ever taken place in a WrestleMania? I, I, I don't think of any I other. Don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you that was the worst plastic looking cage i've ever seen in my life that blue cage um i don't know uh, Was it, wasn't the blue cage designed to um for the bigger guys like so vince had vince had the fascination with the big guys and it, it, it's harder for big guys like like me to climb the uh the regular fence and vince liked the escape the cage rather than keep him in which no that's not what sense. i heard that blue cage was all about i heard that it looked better visually he wanted he wanted it to look like for people who had never seen that before look you have a blue cage there this is color pay-per-view color tv you know that 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 the ugliness of what the cage looks like didn't match the colors of hulk yellow and it just it just looked right yeah, I, I've always felt that uh, a lot of the criticism of, of WrestleMania 2, besides the, the three venues, that the matches weren't that great. And I've always kind of felt part of the reason was because Vince was not at the other two 
buildings. And Vince was also doing the play-by-play in New York and, and wasn't involved. In fact, you know, I remember, you know, watching highlights of, of WrestleMania too. And despite, you know, all the hype over the, you know, Hulk's cage match, uh, you know, Mr. T at Nassau, the NFL, Andre Battle Royal, really the, one of the best matches, if not the best, was the Bulldogs against Beefcake and Valentine. Oh, that was an incredible match. But and, 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 and that really didn't get top billing at all, but just was the best match, I think. The um, uh, Was it uh, Roddy Piper? Um, they had Ricky Steamboat against Hercules Fernandez, which was eh, uh, the Funk, Hoss Funk, Dory Funk, and Terry Funk. Uh, against Junkyard Dog and Tito Santana. They had so many uh, yeah. great names on there. Randy Savage beating George Steele. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen Randy Savage, but uh, Mr. T against Roddy Piper with Bob Absolutely. Orton and Lou Dufa, the fight manager on there. That was, to me, uh, because of Mr. T, that was probably... Uh, one of the bigger marquee matches that people wanted to see because they were promoting Hogan and Mr. T more than any, anybody else uh, during that period of time. Ken was- in terms of actual match, you know, that, that was a, a boxing match, but to me, the best wrestling match was the, that tag match. Oh yeah. That was a wrestling and, match. And remember, you know, uh, Mr. T also had the Haiti kid in his corner. Yeah, I know, I know, but they want that the the buzz around uh, Roddy Piper and uh, Mr. T was absolutely incredible. Oh, and again, that whole boxing thing was built off what happened, you know, at, at WrestleMania and then at Saturday Night's main event. I mean, absolutely. You know, back in the work. The the angles were established and kind of built to a crescendo where now they just kind of magically appear and it's at, at their crescendo with no buildup. <laughs> but keep in mind that the bottom line on this, the bottom line, son, is that um, they had marquee names and they were building the brand. WrestleMania 2, was it going to yep. live up to WrestleMania 1? So here now we're doing it in three different places. And we've got Hulk Hogan in one place. We've got Mr. T in the other place. I mean, really, he was... The eyes of the non-wrestling world were all on this oh, absolutely. event. That's all he wanted to do. Sure. And, and I mean, that's what really the original WrestleMania was, blending music and entertainment, bringing those people into to wrestling. And, you know, it's like I say, even when we talk about, you know, the TV today and the ratings, you know, Vince was smart enough to know. You know, he had the wrestling fans. He had the wrestling crowd. But this was all about expanding, you know, his viewership, bringing in, you know, even mainstream people that were not wrestling fans were suddenly curious about, you know, Mr. T and Liberace and Muhammad Ali. You know, that was all the original WrestleMania, sure. 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 And this sure, was a continuation. Was Vern... Um... Was there any talk of retaliation for Vince operating WrestleMania two in Chicago at one of the sites? Did Vern, I mean, there's a lot of old stories, you know, about different promoters uh, taking ex- extreme means when when a, another territory invaded their town. Well, remember, you know, Vince had n- not really because Vince had had already been running shows, you know, uh, in right. the Twin Cities. Uh, Vern was at the St. Paul Civic Center, but Vince was running uh, at the Met Center in Bloomington. Vince had already been running in, you know, other markets. And remember, by this time, Vern had already tried to get into Vince's backyard with Pro Wrestling USA. They ran the big show uh, at the Meadowlands, had a huge crowd, great night. But Red Factor, they, the you know, AWA and Pro Wrestling USA agreed to pay to the Meadowlands made it impossible to turn a profit because the Meadowlands and rightly so said, look, if you, if we let you come in here and run, Vince is not going to run here anymore. Yeah, that was his tactic. And, and he did not run the Meadowlands after that for a long time. So, yeah. you know, it, it, 
it wasn't new Vince going into someone's backyard. He'd already been doing that. If you carry Starcade against the Survivor Series, you don't get WrestleMania. That's that Fern, was uh, right. But Fern and the other promoters still at that point at WrestleMania too, because I know I was around the Crockett promotions in Memphis and Jarrett's promotions all the time. They all thought that Vince is spending so much money, there's no way that he's not gonna go bust after what you this. say about Tony Khan right now. Well, right? well that that and Bill, there was also a lot of, you know, from Vern Gagne, from Jim Crockett, they still really hadn't bought into this melding of the entertainment world and other athletes, you know, and everything else. You know, remember, they, they had the Andre uh, Battle Royal in Chicago, WrestleMania two bringing in all those NFL stars. Yeah. So th there was a little resentment because obviously they had to smarten them up, you know, and that was kind of the beginning of the end of the, of the kayfabe era. Yeah, but the well, attitude of Gagne and Crockett was, this is, you know, besides the money, people don't care about these other people. They want to see wrestling. Well, no, that didn't prove really to be the case. Yeah, correct. But they also brought in, they also brought in, football fans who were curious to see how their oh, yeah. football players yeah. were going to do in this thing. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, from Vince's standpoint, he, he was absolutely right. But I'm saying uh, Crockett and, and, and Vern kind of looked down on that. It'll never work. Exactly. He's spending too work. much money. It'll never work. And how dare, you know, he's obviously to a degree had to smarten those guys up. Uh, so th there was... I would say at that point, I think a little more disdain than there was worry. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But they all thought he was going to go bust. Yep. 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 Before, before we get out of here and Ken and I talked about Russell rock uh, a long time ago in longer form. So check back in the archives and you can, you can catch it. Just go to vocnation.com. Ken Russell rock is known for uh, one thing really is you dancing. I mean, that's the headline of the show. So uh, tell everybody again. I'm having technical difficulties. I can't hear you. <laughs> you know, one of our most popular YouTube videos is uh, you dancing with Coco Beware and you telling the story. So if you're watching on YouTube, you see on the Chiron, we have Ken dancing at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Um, Ken, was that, was that something that you were happy about going into that? Or was that something that Vern had to talk you in? <laughs> what, what, well, tell us the story. It, it was like anything else, you know, I, I worked for him uh, and, you know, he said, you're going to do this. And, I mean, you know, let's be honest, what this was, uh, was kind of a, a, a cheap imitation of the Bears 85 Super Bowl shuffle. Right. I think that, you know, that's what they were uh, going for. And, uh, you know, I filmed my parts out in Las Vegas, uh, really wasn't sure how this was going to, you know, all come together. And then when a lot of them were, were showing just standing, you know, in a guy's basement reading this line, it was like, what? So it was, uh, you know, <laughs> and like I say, as bad as it was, my luck, I was the only guy that had two different segments. I started it and I ended it. But you know what? The amount of talent that he had on there, I'm looking at it, Harley Race, Bachwinkle, oh, sure. uh, Vern, the Road Warriors, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, Colonel De Beers, Buddy Rose. Sergeant Dan Slaughter. Giant Baba they brought over. Baba, yeah, Giant Baba yep. was on there as well. I mean, I, I mean you, you can make a, a solid argument that not talking about the, the, the matches themselves, but just the individual talent, you can make a pretty strong case that the individual talent was as good, if not better, at Wrestle Rock than it was WrestleMania two. It was wrestle. It was wrestling talent. It was no, all it wrestling talent. They had Waylon Jennings afterwards in concert. You know, Sergeant Slaughter was there. I mean, Sherry Martell. They had the yeah. women's battle royal. Yeah. I, I mean, the the 
matches and the talent was as good, if not better. Yeah, you're right. Didn't Rotunda and Wyndham also work WrestleMania or Rotunda and Spivey, maybe? Sure, no, they Rotunda and Wyndham. The, uh, uh, Barry Wyndham and Mike Rotundo wrestled the uh, fabulous one, Stan yeah. Lane and Steve Kern. No, but yeah. didn't they work WrestleMania the month the month after? Oh, they worked as a team for McMahon, but I don't yeah. remember if it was WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I don't think they I were thought, in, in I, WrestleMania. I thought they, they, they wrestled the Sheik and Volkov, but I'll have to we'll have to look that I, one. I don't, I don't think that was WrestleMania too. No, no, I don't either. Um, real quick, the last three matches were all cage matches. Is that logistical, Ken? Is, did they do that because they they didn't want to take the cage down? <laughs> they uh, yes, and part of that certainly but uh you know like i mentioned and, and i still think the the one uh hulk's match with bundy in the sports arena in la i i don't remember and i don't follow it that close and and maybe the you know fans can tweet us if i'm wrong i think that's the only cage match that's ever taken place at a wrestlemania uh and the cage matches were really really unusual and as you know we talked about earlier in those days, angles were really built over time to major crescendos. So the cage matches were unusual. And, you know, Vern, you know, wanted the Sheik, you know, in a cage. And, you know, you had the Road Warriors, their angle with Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, you know, put that in a cage, Bach and, and Stan Hansen, that th there was reasoning. You know, Vern had all these matches with the, the Sheik and the High Flyers you know, with all this outside interference. And, and part of the thinking was they could sell these because unlike Vince, it was not trying to escape. This was sealing everyone in. So they kind of did it that we are, all these angles are going to pay off because they're going to be locked in a right, cage. Right. not going to be interference. This is going to come to an end one way or the other. It's less labor to take the cage down. Right. Uh, Windham and Rotunda were not at WrestleMania. WrestleMania won. Yeah, they, right. they were not at WrestleMania. Yeah. Okay, guys, great show. Uh, we got through a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, this kind of leads us into the new format where we're just going to spotlight different parts of Bill and Ken's career, different wrestlers that they interacted with. And really, the whole idea behind VOC Nation is taking you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. And uh, Ken and Bill were on the inside for a lot of it, especially yeah. in, the, in the 80s for Ken. Uh, Bill's been around forever. So, but we're going to go back to certain years at times as yeah. well, correct? The spotlight yeah. will be every few uh, yep. every few shows but yeah. the key is we're not just going to go chronologically we're going to spotlight different things we'll take your feedback so follow voc nation follow this show at resnick after voc bill your twitter and your video channel why don't you give us a, a well, plug video there channel of course is uh uh the url www i hate when people say www.onewrestlingvideo.com it's the number one um and uh, at after one wrestling and of course uh boc nation you can find me on all the time and once the uh once things start moving even more forward with voc nation with some of the new innovative things that are going to be happening you'll see a lot more of uh, my contributions to voc nation a lot of investment going on here and and ken someday ken's going to get a twitter we're working on that he does have facebook and then um the talent here at VOC Nation all gets paid by PayPal, and that's a thing that Ken and I are working on in the background. Who writes checks anymore, Ken? But I won't, I won't, I won't bother you on the air about. By the that. way, I, oh, I, I just did. Wait, wait, wait a minute, did he say something about getting paid? What? Uh, what? I don't know what he's showing about. By the way, oh, oh, Bruce, I got it. Oh, oh, thank you. Came in the mail. Well, wait a minute, he got the icy and a dollar, so the he's getting like was, a bonus. The ice, sparkling ice was from two weeks ago. That dollar I came. Came through I PayPal. I do have a gripe here because, as of you, as you know, last week I did my, uh, I did the our show singularly, uh, wrestling with history, and I talked about the days of uh, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers and Antonino Rock, and even though the two of you weren't, especially you, Bruce, around then, I got a very big response through email and tweets of people that want to hear 
some wrestling with history from back in those days. So I'd like to know if I can give you two an assignment as the, as as an acting editor here. Give me an assignment. I want the assignment. Go back and look at those days, and let's come equipped in a few weeks to maybe discuss the sensational 60s before, you know, when it was WWWF, the Bruno San Martino days, the Buddy Rogers days, the Antonino Rocca days, the, you know, the Ricky Starr days. There's a lot of people out there that love those days, and nobody's addressing that. I, I, I love like that it. rocker. That's the one that comes in a can, kind of in the gold foil with the crunchy and the chopped kind of uh, almonds around it. It's great can. I love that. I'll see you at the matches. We're all out of time. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> BOCNation.com. Right here is the future of wrestling.